You are listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with April Gornick. To listen to the full interview or hear more about the Creative Process projects, please visit www.creativeprocess.info. You know, I've always liked, um, since I started painting, and particularly landscapes, I, I like to see work um, as the artist wants it to be seen. Yes. I'm curious about the creative process to a certain extent, but mm-hmm. I'm much more interested in the effect of the final work and the underpainting for me is always important because I believe that there's a, a, a thin dimension on the surface of all of these paintings that exist that's a conversation that's going on between the underpainting and what it is eventually subsumed by on the surface of the painting and it's more or less evident in different paintings that I do. Mm-hmm. So this sometimes it gets almost completely obliterated, but I still believe that there's a little resonance that exists between the, the final uh, layer, as it were, of the painting. I think that no, no matter how intentional you are in the studio, the work always goes off in a direction that can't quite be anticipated. Yes. And the final result is always something that's not quite what I thought it would be. Mm. And, and that's partly accident, and that's partly the, the reification of the thing itself it almost feels like it's by itself and not by me I mean it always feels yeah. like there's there's this thing that happens at the end where everything comes together and I can explain what I do in the studio but I can't explain why it happens when it works successfully ultimately I usually end up making work from images that I that I recognize as being important or interesting to me for some reason, and um, always that pose a certain kind of mysteriousness that make me want to look at them twice mm-hmm. or three times, or in the case of being the person that makes it, like mm-hmm. a zillion times yeah. <laughs> as it's happening. But um, if if a painting or drawing or print or whatever is successful, then it should it should trap that ability to generate questions and responses that um, I would hope that a viewer would have a similar would share similarly, mm-hmm. actually. And I and I don't mean the same. I just mean similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, and their conclusion could be looking at the work, a work that I think is is complex enough to be interesting could be that they find it oppressive or depressing or strange or surreal or very realistic or very peaceful or very happy or very harmonious like it could I've I know that in the same work can um, arouse very different reactions in people Mm -hmm. and to me that is a kind of success actually if the work can straddle various kinds of interpretations because I've always thought that great art 
makes itself vulnerable to interpretation. So to be able to have enough complexity that can generate a lot of different reactions is to me a big positive. And then I guess then there's the choice of, you know, unpeopled landscape. Why that? <laughs> In order to do that. But it's just it's just my language for self expression. Yeah, I grew up in the suburbs um, in, you know, like kind of post-war housing, post-World War II housing uh, in a a very Caucasian neighborhood. Like most people were Irish or Italians and I went to Catholic school and I always liked making art. Mm -hmm. I always liked it. I just like making things generally. Um, And then went to the Cleveland Institute of Art, Great. you know, yeah. low-hanging fruit. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I got, um, I got restless there and wanted to pursue an interest that I developed in conceptual art, and I was very comfortable hiding in or keeping a bulwark around me of... of what I was thinking of as conceptualism mm-hmm. then. And I'm not saying that I understood it. I don't think I really did. Mm-hmm. But I wanted, I, I took comfort in the idea that, that conceptual art made art smart and it, it, that it could, be, it could make it become as good as science. And yeah. with science go explanations and with explanations go excuses or rationales, you know, like yeah. a, a kind of an orderliness and one big part of my sense of self-confidence has always been my, my mind. Mm-hmm. So getting into sort of an art that would be something that I'd make and I could explain and I had mm-hmm. reason and maybe it would be socially impactful or in some way, you know, that all of that appealed to me immensely. Yeah. And then I impulsively applied to the Nova Scotia College after I didn't get a scholarship renewal at the mm-hmm. Cleveland Institute. It was just like a half have scholarship mm-hmm. and I got accepted and I just left mm-hmm. but I had one more year to go anyway but I wanted to go there because they had courses on Marxism and mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very advanced and I thought yes um, I'll, I'll be very advanced <laughs> and then by the time I had a I had a very nice teacher named Richard Jardin, and um, like all the teachers there were about 10 years older than the students at the most right and um, we ended up like talking for hours and hours about about art and why to make it. And I think we both kind of reached the conclusion um, that we were both making work that was illustrating right. texts. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, then people weren't really reading Lacan, but they were reading Piaget and Claude Levi Strauss and. I was just struggling to make sense of these texts and Marxism and things like that. And then I would make these things that were kind of romantic and I was all over the place and mm-hmm. they were, it was derivative. And I just, I just kind of realized suddenly that I was doing something that, that wasn't... It was secondary to the texts in a way. It was yeah. illustration. Yeah. Yeah. I, was making, I was making illustrations mm-hmm. personally. And then I went off and... 
went to Europe for a couple of months the summer after I graduated from there, came back to Nova Scotia, got a little studio, and just started horsing around in it. And I thought, I got very interested when I was over in Europe in um, art of other cultures, right. African art, oceanic art, whatever, and I started thinking about archetypes, and I tried to make work that had symbols in them. Yeah. And then one day in my studio, I just, I had gotten, I kind of got strayed into the idea that it would be interesting to make something that contained light, mm-hmm. and an image popped into my head, and, and I made it, and I actually needed paint to make it, and it turned out to be a landscape, and then, I've said this story so many times, it's oh, well, awful to repeat it, but, it's but okay. you know, I accidentally made a landscape, and, yeah. but I really liked it. I yeah. really liked the idea of making something that had light in it. So and you had fun making it. There was like a joy of it wasn't a struggle. It was much. it was like it was like I was driven. Mm. I was like I was in the driver's seat and I was being driven. At the yeah. same time I felt very mm-hmm. like everything felt very necessary. Do you want to get involved with exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info. Thank you for listening.